This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and joining me this evening is Mr. Matt Caraccio. Matt, welcome back. How are you doing, my friend? Oh, Paul, I mean... I got to tell you something. I always look forward to these shows, especially when we have the guests that we have on this evening. Like we've always said before, I don't think any one of us are really sitting here if it's not for that inspiration that this person has provided to us over the years. And and here we are, yet another post-draft season, ready to kind of tease out where we should be investing that ever so that ever so important draft capital, whether it's in our dynasty leagues or in our redraft leagues. Which one of these rookies is going to light the world on fire? Or which ones? Maybe it's a plural. Maybe there's many. So I'm excited, Paul. I really am. Here, I can't wait to go. Yeah, absolutely. And as Matt was alluding to, we are once again very privileged and honored to be joined by our close friend in this community and one of our favorite guests to have on the Saturday Sunday Football Podcast. And that is Mr. Matt Waldman. Matt, welcome back. It's exciting to talk to you post-draft now. I know we do this every single year, pre-draft and post-draft, and we do greatly appreciate it. Hey, well, it's my pleasure. I, I enjoy doing this show with you guys every year, and 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 you guys are a terrific um duo in terms of you know being able to to analyze and talk about the college game and uh you know it's nice to be able to have an opportunity to uh to be able to talk sports with you guys absolutely so let's get right into it you know we when we had you on pre-draft we there was a lot of big names that we didn't get to you know we were talking about a lot of under the radar guys and we went really in depth so i definitely want to start with some of the, the the guys that we didn't get a chance to really talk about last time and i'm gonna start the wide receiver position tonight and right at the top we didn't really get into too much pre-drafted jerry judy cd lamb comparison can you just maybe talk us through a little bit your thoughts on those two now that we know landing spots scheme fits do you like the fits for both of them the the you know what you felt about them pre-draft did it change much based on landing spots or about status quo with those two yeah it's pretty much status quo with those two i i really like the landing spots for both players i know some people overreacted a little bit to the cd lamb acquisition by the cowboys and thought oh well that's not a great spot for him that was kind of like a I thought that was kind of like one of those instant reactions that wasn't necessarily great analysis because when you look at Dak Prescott, who threw for 5,000 yards last year, and that was with 1,100 yards coming from Tavon Austin and Randall Cobb combined, and then you have Jason Witten and still um, still had Ezekiel Elliott running for over 1,300 yards in that offense, and he threw for 1,100 yards to Amari Cooper and, and, and Michael Gallup. So when you consider that um, – you know, you realize that there was a lot of yards that's available for, um, you know, C.D. Lamb to be able to get the most out of his game, um, even year one. And I think that that's what's going to happen here is that you're going to see C.D. Lamb take over for what, you know, was basically left with them getting getting rid of Tavon Austin and Randall Cobb. Um, so I like C.D. Lamb because he's going to basically alternate with Amari Cooper in the, at the flanker role and the slot role, and they're going to be able to find matchups for both of those guys and use them in ways that really work best for each player. Um, and then when you look at a guy like Jerry Judy, I mean, same thing. He's going to play flanker in two tight, in two tight end sets and in I formation sets. 
And then when they go to three wide receivers, they're probably going to put them in the slot and put K.J. Hamler outside or one of their other receivers if Juwan Winfrey makes another step or Tim Patrick or somebody like that. And then when they go four wide, they might use two tight ends to be two of those wide receivers. Albert Okobunum, you know, could be one of them. And and then you could see Judy on the inside there running a lot of those types of routes. Um, so, and he's going to be the safety blanket for Jake, for, for Drew Locke. I think that he's going to be the guy that's going to be the receptions leader, maybe even uh, uh, potentially a yardage leader for, for this team. And they, and if there's a guy that can step in and give you close to what Emmanuel Sanders gave that team in terms of the maybe not yard for yard production, but route running ability to be in the open spot in the zone, playing that role and helping out the other receivers because of the fact that he's going to be where he needs to be and that defenses are going to have to really keep an eye on him because he's going to be able to make those types of plays. It's Judy. So, um, yeah, I really love the fit for both these teams. And, you know, and I love the fact that you talked about, you know, the analysis and looking at, you know, the complementary role is not being a role that should be marginalized in any way. You know, a complementary role in today's NFL game isn't the complementary role of 1985. You know, the complementary role of 1985, you're talking about a guy who's, you know, maybe less than 40 receptions in a year or maybe 50 receptions in the year, if that tops. Now we're talking about your complementary receiver could be 70 receptions or 75 or 80 receptions. I mean, so, I mean, I think the idea of what constitutes a complementary role needs to be reexamined more thoroughly as we begin to unpack these from a fantasy perspective. But from a football perspective, I love how you mentioned the point about Amari Cooper and um, and CeeDee Lamb exchanging the roles at playing either split end, flanker, or even in the slot. I, I think that was the first thing that hit me like a cosmic blast was that they really did complement one each other immediately right out of the gate very well. And I know a lot of people were immediately putting CeeDee Lamb out in the, you know, kind of that split end flanker position, which which he maybe will graduate to. But I think he immediately also fits, you know, in the slot position. I mean, I think that's where he's going to face matchups that are intriguing. So, Matt, I'm, I'm just curious, out of the out of the, all the receivers that you just mentioned, you mentioned a little bit about K.J. Hamler. Do you mind maybe unpacking what our expectations for a K.J. Hamler should be as we move into this kind of drafting period, maybe whether it be from a fantasy standpoint, from like a dynasty standpoint, or even from a redraft standpoint. And, I, and I'd be remiss if I didn't talk and ask you about, what do we think about Jalen Rager? Did you like the spot? I have to throw that one out there as well. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to leave that like a, on like a silver platter and just let you, let you just have like a sort of a feast here. Sure. You know, and I think KJ Hamler from a football perspective, the the standpoint is pretty, you know, the, the fit is pretty good um, because this is the type of receiver that I don't think you want to put too much on too early. Um, he, you know, he's, he's terrific in the open field. I think what he does in, in certain zone looks can be really helpful. And he has that skill to go up and win the ball in the air. So you get a little bit of that Deshaun Jackson, Tyler Lockett, Marquise Brown type of vibe with his game. Um, but I think asking him to do that, play in and play out, you know, as an every down player, I think he's going to get lost a little bit early on. Um, and I think putting him in a situation where he can be in a three receiver role or in a four or open or empty set type of role, let him get his feet wet playing on special teams and having selected looks 
in, in you know on the field in the offense I think is probably a really good look for him right now and he's not he's not having to be one of the main guys on the team he can help stretch the field help Jerry Judy help Cortland Sutton help the tight ends immensely with his ability to stretch the field but in a way where um you know you can give him selective targets also on the inside to stretch that field so like like I could see them putting guys like Albert O and and um you know Noah Fant outside and then putting Judy and Hamler inside you know and then having you know Sutland of course outside as well or you know something in a three receiver set you know an empty set like that where you can see Hamler and Judy working inside out on deeper routes where they can be really dangerous or or putting Hamler on a safety getting a mismatch there and have him just blow by the guy and then you can you can get some really nice opportunities in your empty sets and your four wide receiver sets using him to stretch the field in a way that maybe they couldn't do with a lot of their other receivers right now because they had Deshaun Hamilton and Winfrey's fast but not electric, you know, and Tim Patrick's not fast at all, you know. So they really didn't have anybody with that kind of skill to really cause create that kind of danger. Rager. I think Rager can be a good player. I think the idea, you know, when I hear Steve Smith clone, the, it kind of offends my sensibilities because there's just, there are certain players that you just don't, you don't compare other players to, to, to that degree. And, and I, I think Steve Smith is one of them. So Rager to me is a guy that he's going to fit well in this offense in the sense of the short game. You know, use him on those RPOs, use him on the quick slants and the crossing routes. And I think he's going to do very well. One on one in, um, you know, on deep routes, I think there's a, there's some things that he can do. Corner routes, you know, certain seam routes, I think that'll work just fine. Double moves, I think he's going to be able to work out there. If Carson Palmer can be accurate beyond 35, 40 yards, but I don't think he's going to need to. He can be able to, if he makes those quick hitting plays in that 25 to 35 yard range where he doesn't have to drop back, he can just set his feet and throw with the big arm he has. And he's accurate in that area that helps Rager. So Rager can be a, a fit there, even though they already have Deshaun Jackson, if Jackson stays healthy and, and when Desha- and Jackson can still do that, even at his age. So I think Rager will be good. I don't think he'll be great. I think in the dynasty community, people are taking him as like, one of the top 15 players sometimes on the board. And I have him more as outside the top 20, just outside the top 20 players. Um, still can be good, but I just don't think he's going to step in and be like a you know an 1,100, 1,200-yard receiver. I see him as a six to 700-yard receiver at best this year, and then maybe he can graduate to an 800 to 1,000-yard player within the next year or two. And if he really – and if the quarterback position or the offense – can really work towards Rager a little bit more. Maybe he can do more based on what he does one-on-one in man-to-man coverage, which I think can get better, but isn't necessarily going to be the strength. I see Jalen Rager not as a Steve Smith guy, but as Brandon Cooks. And I think that if you make him your Brandon Cooks, that that can be worthwhile to you. Yeah, I love the fact that you just made that comparison because since last summer here at SS, that's the name that I kept throwing out there with Jalen oh, cool. Rager, the Brandon nice. Cooks comparison. So it was nice to hear somebody else say that because I do, I do agree with you. A guy like Steve Smith, like 
his attitude and my ball mentality, it's hard to put that on any other player sometimes, you know, and this is some of those guys that like, you know, you, you hear people compared to Steve Smith. I try sometimes hard to certain players. And I think he fits that mold. You know, I think Heinz Ward's another one, his personality, another guy that, you know, it's thrown around there sometimes, but those guys were rare breeds in terms of their, their, their mental makeup, the yeah. way their physicality, their toughness in terms of, they got everything out of their talent and then some over and yeah. over. And, and I think, I think that's sometimes rare. So I like the, I like hearing the approach because I do believe a lot of people are much higher on Jalen Rager I'm a little bit more I think in the middle uh than the people who are really high and and then I'm not as low as you I I could see him being productive there but you know Carson Wentz you know it's gonna be interesting because I feel like the Eagles do spread it out a lot they have two very good tight ends one who's been producing for years and another one who I think is very talented and up and coming you know Miles Sanders showed you know last year that he can be a productive back so it would be interesting to see the step that he takes this year and it also just kind of feels like the Eagles might not be done in total revamping that wide receiver position I know they got a lot of bodies this year We'll see if any of the other guys step up and, and become viable parts of that team. So I do think it's going to be interesting to kind of see how he fits. And and to go back to a quick thought about KJ Hamler before we transition to some other names, I think he's a guy that could bring a lot more tactical value early on to that offense, like you were talking about, than maybe consistent fantasy production. Yes. And, you know, you have Cortland Sutton there. You have Jerry Judy. You have the tight ends. You know, so it's going to be interesting. Unless Drew Locke all of a sudden morphs into Patrick Mahomes and it's enough to go around for everybody, somebody's going to, you know, be a little bit inconsistent more uh, from time to time. And I think that might be Hamler. A guy who kind of I could see people saying fits into similarly to a skill set of Hamler or even Jalen Rager or, or blend them together. I want to pick your brain a little bit on Henry Ruggs and the landing spot there with Las Vegas, because I've heard a, a handful of things and I'm interested to see your perspective. I know when he initially was drafted there, part of me was like, man, Derek Carr, his skill set doesn't really seem to fit perfectly with maybe Henry Ruggs and that speed. You know, Derek Carr has been much more of a short to intermediate guy. And then I've heard some other takes that is that had me thinking, you know, Alex Smith never really pushed the ball vertically down the field in Kansas City until Tyree Kill there, and he was almost forced to to take advantage of Tyree Kill's skill set. And then another perspective is, well, maybe they want Derek Carr to live in his comfort zone of that short to intermediate, but they looked at a guy like Henry Ruggs and said, he might have more potential than others to make plays after the catch in that short to intermediate range and to extend the short play into a long play. How do you kind of see the Henry Ruggs, Derek Carr, let's say for now he's the quarterback there for the foreseeable future. How do you kind of see that morphing and blending together? Well, overall, when I listened, when I heard that, you know, he went to the Raiders, my first thought was this is a boom bust situation for Henry Ruggs. Like in the sense that, you know, it seems like John Gruden and 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 Mike Mayock already have like Derek Carr, like maybe a quarter of the way out the door with Marcus Mariota there. And then I can just imagine them saying, I've you know, that I can imagine when this happens, if they push Derek Carr out, that they're going to say, well, Mariota has just, you know, he's so mobile and he can create on his own and he can create in and outside of structure. And I'm going to go, you haven't been watching the tape enough because you've got the same guy as Derek Carr, except he's worse in the pocket than Derek Carr um, in terms of how long he takes and that he doesn't know how to move. 
and Matt, ahead, does Matt. John Gruden does John Gruden strike you as somebody who wants you to figure it out on your own? No. So, no. <laughs> no. And 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 he doesn't and he strikes me as a guy who hates quarterbacks. As much as we like as much as we celebrate the idea that he loves quarterbacks because he has this show and he's a great interview with it, but he's like the person who like he he's like it's almost like a horror movie like I think there was this horror movie with um oh what's his name the kid from night oh I can't secret window the Stephen King based on the Stephen King movie you know um and where uh you know where the main character is literally an author who's like talking about all these crimes and it turns out he has this like completely different identity like psychologically in his head and he's like a murderer, you know, but he, you know, and I think that John Gruden is like this QB aficionado who's actually a quarterback murderer and he doesn't realize it. Like he really doesn't even know that he's doing this, but it's like over and over again, he doesn't, unless they're like a, unless they're a wily veteran who comes in and just, I, I, I don't know if they do this, but I get the impression that these guys come, you know, the Brad Johnsons and the, and this and the rich Gannons of the world were kind of like, just shut up, John. Let me do my job. You know, like had to kind of like tell him, like sit in his place, like go sit in the quarter and go go mess with somebody else. Like if you don't want me to be the quarterback, let me know right now. You know, like I could see him, Rich Gannon, being that way in a meeting, just being like, listen, if you don't want me, leave. But if you're gonna like just nitpick me to death about everything that I'm gonna do then get somebody else because this is a waste of my time. And then John going like, oh, no, no, no. And then kind of going off grumbling and then they're win, you know, and then he's like appreciating it. But then that he gets himself a young guy or, or a guy who's kind of struggling who should be good and he nitpicks the guy to death until the guy is like no longer has any confidence whatsoever. And then they bring in the next guy and keep doing that. Like I get the sense that, and and I hope I'm wrong. Like, I hope I'm so dead wrong about that, but that's what you see from afar. So when you see Henry Ruggs, I, I feel like that from, you know, for now, how you described it, RPO stuff, you, you know, quick hitting passes, you, you know, things where you can use the play action, um, where you can use the thread of Josh Jacobs also for deep passing with him. And and now you have that big line that they've built up first. So that's good. So now they're hoping that big line will help come to fruition where they pound the ball, give Josh Jacobs more opportunities as a receiver. So that now what you have is it's not as a predictable of an offense where it's like, you know, Josh Jacobs run the ball, Jalen Richard received the ball, you know, as the, you know, now they're going to be saying, you know what, let's give 60, 70 targets to Josh Jacobs who can handle that. And we pound him into that big offensive line, let him get that five yards per carry that he probably can get as a, as a, as a running back in his second year and then go over the top with rugs. And if it's not there, well, Jacobs can get open and we know what we can get with him. We've got Darren Waller in the intermediate range. So that'll work out well. So, I like that, but then if Carr doesn't succeed and they put Mariota in there, forget it. I'm like, you know, it's going to be mostly short passes, three to four targets for Henry Ruggs. Some of them might be accurate, and then, you know, we're going to see this offensive line stressed out to the gills by Mariota, who just can't, you know, stay in there and and, and be able to make quick decisions when pressure arrives. Um, or when he's in the pocket and, he, and somebody doesn't break open right away. So I think Ruggs to me is like a 500 to 700 yard receiver on a 
on you know with a high yards per catch average probably um, or a guy who might give you eight to nine if they mix in a lot enough short um, short passes here but it's a it's a boom bust scenario to me and I almost think the best receiver they picked might be Brian Edwards um, if you know in terms of what he can do and and I know that the the drops were an issue but I think he's going to end up competing with Tyrell Williams for that role as the split end. Um, and then eventually um, taking over for that because Williams is going to be, you know, his contract's, I think, over this year. No, I, I think there's so much to unpack there. I mean, you know, other than, other than uh, you know, the fact that I agree with you, I think that the actual landscape of that team is now perfectly set up for Brian Edwards to emerge. I think it fits his game. He's going to be doing things he's been asked to do in college. He'll be working in similar areas, similar spaces, um, similar types of problems that he saw in college. Obviously, much different in the sense of the opponents he's facing, but he'll be comfortable in the role that he'll be given on that team. And I, and I think that that's great for him, and I think that he really can be a very, very, very solid, functional, highly functional uh, wide receiver at the next level. So I'm, I'm really excited about him. And I, and I kind of wanted to... So, I mean, listen, we're not even going to get into the Jalen Rieger thing. I mean, I'm I'm all over. I'm completely different than Matt, and I'm slightly different than Paul. We're I'm just going to let myself calm down from that last discussion. <laughs> but but I'm just a fan of him. He's a guy I like. But I mean, as we as we move past maybe the Brian Edwards, who's a heartthrob of mine, um, as well. What about now a couple other players though, Matt? Let's take some other wide receivers that kind of found homes that people are really excited about. Let's talk about Michael Pittman maybe out there in Indianapolis. I think there's definitely a gem. He's a guy that I'm right there thinking about. Even some of those hybrid players, those players that we're we're calling, you know, here at Saturday to Sunday, we've been calling them slot backs. I know, you know, Bucky Brooks was calling them wing backs. Um, but guys like LaVisca Chenault and where he may fit into early on, where he may evolve into later on, and maybe even a player like T. Higgins as well or Denzel Mims. So I'll leave those four out there to kind of give you or maybe let it percolate a little bit as to what those guys may be both in a long-term and short-term type of window. So you can have at it. Michael Pittman, Denzel Mims, LaVisca Chenault, um, or even T Higgins, wh- where do you kind of settle on that group? And is there anybody you're really excited about? Yeah. I mean, these are all interesting players. I mean, you know, starting, let's start with Denzel Mims. I mean, I have ranked highest on my board right now, post draft and, but there's a little boom bust to his element. And part of that is, is when you look at the New York jets receiving core, you're like, okay, Josh Doxson really hasn't done anything to distinguish himself. Um, you, you know, Brashard Perryman, just escaped from the jaws of career death basically over the past two years. Can he move himself forward to really be a true outside presence who is the main guy, the primary guy? Um, seems to me that if he can, that's great. But, but isn't he and aren't he and Denzel Mims probably competing for the same spot? I'd have to think they probably are. Quincy and Noon was careers probably over with the, the neck injury that he had, which is sad to say. So really the only guy on that team who is a a veteran receiver who's been there, done that, and hasn't really even done that on the outside, that's Jamison Crowder. So Sean Jefferson, who is a very good receiving coach, you know, will be a help to Denzel Mims. But is this a team full of underachievers who, you know, kind of are about what the old Jets have been about for a long time, which is basically, you know, this culture has been where, 
you know, players have gone to purgatory and they don't play all that well. And then it's another year. And, and, you know, it's kind of like what the 49ers were before, um, you know, basically Shanahan arrived, you know, it was like this team that, you know, guys were more concerned about going out at the end of the games, you know, than they were about actually playing to their dead level best. And is this a club that is that way? Cause if the, if the, Gravity of the depth chart not being all that good kind of sucks Denzel Mims down, and that's the influence. He might not become the player that he's capable of being. But on all accounts, Denzel Mims is noted as being a really hard worker, a guy who you notice on tape, like year after year after year, getting better and better and better with his releases, with his ability to fight against press coverage, his skill with how he uses his hands, how he runs routes, all those things have improved in his game. So I I have to think I'm still optimistic that he'll be, he'll be a guy that actually transcends what the rest of his depth chart is. But when you start looking at depth charts and you start looking at part of that, it's important because a lot of talented receivers, a lot of talented players need to have a really good veteran who can help them out because most of the time receiver coaches have to spend a lot more time on things other than teaching guys the the rudiments of the game in a way that they can really advance. And Sean Jefferson can show him stuff, but is he necessarily going to be able to have the time to work with him and get him or, or drill it into him to say, you're going to have to work day in and day out on this on your own. Like these are things you're really going to have to do on your own. So he, I like, but you know, after Mims, is LaVisca Chenault to me. Like I just draft before the show came on, I'm in a dynasty league that I had the 12th pick in a 14 team league, or I think that was what it was 12th pick in a 14 team league. And he, um, you know, he, I picked him, you know, first round and, and I, and I have a ton of good receivers on that team, but you know, it was, it was between he and T Higgins and maybe AJ Dillon for me, and was a guy that I was even considering at this point. And I guess I could have probably taken two of two of might have been there, but I have like Mahomes and Wilson and Jared Goff and Lamar Jackson, so I don't really need another quarterback. But when you look at Lavisca Chenault, you look at this guy, and it's like he's someone that they they're going to move around and they're going to use him as a gadget player to an extent. Hopefully, they don't over gadgetize him to the point that it becomes so predictable that then he's lost when after four weeks and the team and the opposing defenses are like, this is totally predictable. We know what you're going to do with him. And then, you know, his, he's not getting the ball as much and his production plummets, his, his confidence wanes, and they don't use him in any other different way. But if they really make him a flanker, and I think that's really what he is, is they really work on him being a flanker and just give him some gadget looks in the backfield and at, on the wing um, but really more to get him into open space, not to pound him in the line. Please, God, do not make him Leonard Fournette's glorified backup because that would just, you know, with the injuries he's had, that would be awful. But I think letting him develop as a route runner, and he has a good receiver coach in Keenan McCardell. And Keenan McCardell, I think there's a guy that they salvaged a career with, and that's Keelan Cole, who I've t- been a big fan of, who is, you know, seemed to be coming on last year you know, after kind of going into purgatory after losing his confidence and McCardell had been kind of forecasting that to be happening, you know, around this time last year, that it was going to, that he had get, regained his confidence. And that, and I think that McCardell is a type of coach that has, can really help out a guy like Chenault, who I think has some good route running skills, 
to work with and to really refine. Like he, he can make those speed turns. He can make some hard breaks with the, the drop of his weight. Um, love how he tacks the football. So, and he didn't have a quarterback really to speak of who had pro caliber, um, skills. So, you know, I, I think that he's going to be in a better spot this year. And that's going to, with a guy like DJ Chark, who just played out of his mind last year and getting Tyler Eifert, who knows how to get open in zones and Fournette's rededicated himself last year. You know, I'm really happy for him that he's done that. And they made the right decision. They, they stuck with Gardner Minshew. And I think that Minshew is going to make another level of improvement this year. And I like Chenault. And then you get, you get, you know, T Higgins. Listen to me, T Higgins is a nice, a nice player. I like what he's going to be able to do in the middle of the field, what he's going to be able to do out on the perimeter. Um, really smart football player. I, I think that's just a pretty straightforward pick. I think that it's a good pick by the Bengals. Um, he may not be awesome this year. It just depends on whether Ross gets hurt again or A.J. Green gets hurt again um, and how much volume he's really going to get and also how well Joe Burrow plays year one. You know, I think everybody's expecting Joe Burrow to be – um, really good as a first-year player, and I think that's possible. But um, I'm not. I'm I'm being a little more cautious with him at this stage. Um, but I think Higgins is a guy that can grow with that team. And then Pittman, the same thing. I mean, like he's Mike. He's basically Mike Williams. You know, Midwest or or you know, um, Kasim Os- Osgood Midwest. You know, whatever it is, pick your tall, tall, slightly not unbelievably fast receiver who can still get downfield and win above the rim and do it on the perimeter and pair him with Philip Rivers. And that's what you got. And Frank Reich ran that, you know, was the offensive coordinator and quarterback coach for the Chargers with Rivers for a while. So when you look at this team, it's pretty familiar. I mean, you've got your, you, you, you've got your like, you, you know, your old, you know, Antonio Gates type of player in Doyle. You've got your Hunter Henry type in Burton. Then you have, you know, your, your Melvin Gordon plus, 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 and Jonathan Taylor, you know, or basically, um, let's say Nick Chubb light in, in, you know, and Jonathan Taylor, you know, over there. And then you have, then you have like Travis Benjamin plus, 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 and, and T.Y. Hilton. And their hope is that Keenan Allen will be, you know, their Keenan Allen type will be, um, you know, Campbell. Um, and, but I think right this year, you'll probably see, T.Y. Hilton play more of the Keenan Allen role. Well, he'll play a little bit more flank, you know, slot and outside. And then you'll also have Pittman play more of that, that flanker kind of, you know, off the, you know, I think they'd make, make him a flanker. Maybe they'll make him a split end, but he'll play out on the perimeter. Um, and I think that he's a guy that with Rivers, it should be a good fit. It should work out pretty well right now. And, and then if, you know, if, if Chad Kelly shows enough that he's not that he doesn't have a screw loose, maybe maybe he maybe they'll let him leapfrog J, Jason, you know Eason and um you know Jacob Eason and Jacoby Brissett, who they'll, they'll they'll let go in a contract. But you know we all know that's my fever dream. That's probably not going <laughs> to happen. So Eason will hopefully develop and you know most likely be the guy within a year or two if Philip Rivers can outplay play well enough that he earns an extension from um you know a team friendly extension in 2021. Yeah, I mean so many great thoughts there you shared about those four wide receivers. Uh I'm really excited about LaVisca Chenault and I I think you you hit it on the head that I kind of want to see what they develop and not make him only a gadget guy that he has a lot more 
and a lot more skill set as a as a receiver and more to develop for sure, but not just kind of pigeonhole into that. Maybe get him, you know, get him acclimated to the to the NFL by using him on some easy things like touch passes and the jet sweeps in the end of the round. Continue to to craft his skill as a receiver because I do think he has shown enough that he can be an impact as a receiver. Two final wide receivers I wanted to bring up real quick before we transition over to some running backs. Uh, one, Justin Jefferson. I'm, in, I'm intrigued to hear your thought because, you know, he's going to Minnesota. You know, they, they traded away Stefan Diggs, so he, he's going to be filling that void there. You know, it's going to be interesting, though, because I, I do feel like Adam Thielen is best inside in the slot. I feel like Justin Jefferson is best inside the slot they kind of feel like they're maybe skewing more towards 12 personnel because I know you are as well as Matt and I here are big fans of Irv Smith. So I think to get Irv Smith on the field more, they'll probably be more in two tight end sets, you know? So I just don't know if I love the, the fit there. So I'm interested to hear your perspective on Justin Jefferson in that Minnesota offense. And then I know we talked about him before the draft, one of your favorites, a guy that I like as well, Quintus Cephas, what do you think about the Detroit landing spot? Because I I think he's going to get an opportunity sooner rather than later. I think Marvin Jones could be a prime trade candidate somewhere during the season. Hopefully we have a season. And if the Lions aren't in prime playoff position, he could be a veteran that could easily be on the move, similar to Mohamed Sanu last year. And does that open up an opportunity for Quintus Cephas even earlier than maybe we expect? It's great questions. I mean, I think with Justin Jefferson, just to start off with, he probably has the highest floor of all the fantasy receivers this year um, and in the next couple of years, but he may not have nearly as high of a ceiling as some of the other guys uh, on the board. So if you're looking for like the safest pick, like a guy who's going to get you between 750 and 950 yards, I think Justin Jefferson is that guy for you. Um, if You know, but I don't think, you know, I think his absolute ceiling is probably 1,100 yards. I don't think you're going to see him as a 12, 13, 1,400-yard receiver, except for maybe two, three years down the line, depending on whether, A, they get rid of Kirk Cousins, B, they end up, uh, uh, and Kirk Cousins isn't bad, but it's like, I don't think that he's that creative force and this kind of offense is more suited towards like, all right, let's let's keep things reined in. Let's make things easy for, easier for the quarterback by, you know, how, what we do with the run game and what we do with play action. Um, so I think Jefferson can be a high, maybe a high reception, low yards per catch average guy who occasionally wins on some of the the, the play action deep type of shots. But I think that what you saw in the offense last year is pretty indicative of what we're going to see with them and and the Cleveland Browns receivers, which is somewhere between about 11 and 13 yards per catch at most. And and you're going to see a fair number of receptions, but it's going to be, you know, occasionally they'll have some big play stretch type of stuff. But, you know, again, it's, you know, the he's safe, but he's not exciting and and he could be exciting in another offense. Um, so we'll see if that, that works out that way. And then when you talk about Cephas, I mean, I'm excited about him too there. I think that it's a, you know, I think they're going to give him a shot to play in the slot, maybe occasionally, maybe in four receiver sets where he can play in the slot. He'll be competing with Geronimo Allison, I think for those looks early on. And if he can win outright early, like just basically make mincemeat out of Allison in camp, then I think then he might have a shot of being able to, 
to to maybe play behind Marvin Jones. And I see your point about Jones there. That was interesting because the, there was something I was reading on Twitter recent um, today about how basically it's become very clear when you watch the tape from somebody's an anal- analysis. And I've seen this for years, which is as as physical as Kenny Galladay is, he's not the go to guy when it's like you gotta you gotta throw the ball to somebody in a pivotal situation and there's going to be one-on-one coverage and and you're going to target your man, that's Jones. That's who, who Stafford's relied on. Whereas, whereas Galladay's more like, can we, can we use him as the big bully to find a matchup error in the defense? And when that happens, he's going to blow by somebody and we're going to let him go up and win the ball against a, an undermanned safety or linebacker, you know, or, or small nickel corner who can't go up for the ball with him, you, you know, and, or, you know, or, or some sort of zone splitting type of play. Whereas with Jones, I think has been the main guy. Now Cephas has that skill. You know, he has that skill that Jones does. He's not as fast as Jones, but he has that skill. And it's one of those things that with Stafford, I mean, I hope Stafford's, I, I, one, I hope the Lions actually become a playoff to contender and maybe get a shot to really contend deeply because that, that would be great for Stafford, who I think is an underrated player. Um, so I hope that Stafford stays his can continue to stay there and, and ha- play out his career there because if he can hang out with a guy like Cephas, he's gonna he's the type of guy that will t- target receivers in tight coverage in reasonable situations that a lot of these receivers often had dropped the football in early in in Stafford's career. Cephas is the type of guy that thrives in those situations. So I, I like the po- the potential there. I'd like him more as a big slot player. And they can use him and keep Jones, but I know that's probably unlikely with the with the business decisions they're going to have to make. You know, it's it's just as we as we're talking about this, the things that keep running through my mind is is the depth of this class and in terms of options, ways that you can move around, the ways that you can use this class to really fill a lot of needs. I think I think this is one of those drafts, especially if you're looking at the wide receiver position. Go up and get your guy, and and, and if somebody wants to play cute with you and you can get a little bit of juice for your pick, then feel free to do that. This is a sounds like a perfect kind of draft to do that. And and now as we kind of transition, maybe the running back position and yet another position where there seems to be a lot of opportunity maybe to um, let's say reorganize your team or help your team. And even for the NFL help instill some new youth at the position, Matt, I got to tell you, you you mentioned him earlier. He's going to be playing in the snow covered fields of green Bay. You are absolutely high on Mr. AJ Dillon. Can you, can you talk to us a little bit about AJ Dillon, the situation in green Bay, what your feelings are in terms of that fit as we kind of enter this upcoming season? Yeah, he's everything that Mike Mayock thought Andre Williams would be, but was dead wrong about. And and I think that that's, you know, no, I mean, Mike Mayock's a great analyst and obviously he's earned his way to being a GM. But, you know, this was a guy that a lot of people were high on Andre Williams, but just didn't have the ability to run between the tackles, the skills to actually identify what he need to identify. And, A.J. Dillon has excellent vision. He understands how to see creases and process that, uses his footwork very well. People, again, I think there's this weird bias nowadays because they automatically think nickel defenses, we must have spread offenses and scat backs. And it's like Derrick Henry got the same deal. Oh, he doesn't have great footwork. He's a lumbering guy. He's LeGarrette Blunt. And then, and I'm sitting there going, well, is that so bad? 
was LeGarrette Blunt so bad? Like I'm looking around and thinking LeGarrette Blunt was pretty darn good. He just happened to be in an offense for a lot of his career that said we're gonna we're gonna use multiple guys. But LeGarrette Blunt was like the guy that you know everyone said was bad, and like I always loved it because like LeGarrette Blunt was the guy that you get in the tenth, twelfth round in fantasy drafts every year for it was like free money, and at the end of the year you were basically. You, you're basically winning because of him. So, you, you know, to me, AJ Dillon's a, a a guy who could be as good as LeGarrette Blunt, maybe even a little better, um, because I think he's a little quicker and fast. He's a little faster than Blunt, not as quick as Blunt is, but he's also powerful. I think he's more powerful than Blunt was. Blunt, Blunt always said people said he was like a banger, but Blunt was kind of more of a Jerome Bettis, like sweet feet kind of back who didn't have Bettis's pop, you know, but. You know, Dylan to me is a, a good back who I think they looked at a guy like Aaron Jones and they feel like we're going to have to pay him a lot of money because he had a great season last year, but he also had missed a ton of games the first two years and he missed games when he was at, you know, where he was in college. So they are, they're probably looking at that and going, I don't think we want to pay a contract to a guy that we're not sure he can hold up year in and year out because he had one great year that we're happy for but maybe he's too rich for our blood and we can use a guy like, you know, Dylan and get a lot out of him in this offense. Cause he can catch the ball and he's a lot more dynamic than people realize. And, you know, it, it happens. It happens every so often that people look at a back like, like him and they, and they see something where they're like, he's just not as good as we think he is, or he's run down because he had all these carries and I've talked about that, how much of a myth that is. And then the, and then he's going to get on the field and go, oh, you mean he was the guy that made that offense go? You mean he was the guy that made that offense look pretty good? Uh, and and now we're seeing him on the field, and it's like, he's really good. Like, he's a really good football player. He's way better than we thought. I actually think I have A.J. Dillon underrated right now by about – I, I should probably put him above DeAndre Swift, to be honest with you. Well, and you know what? I, I just I, just something that came to me as I was listening to this. You know, I had the opportunity to, um, you know, kind of you know read some articles with regards to different offensive linemen and players that are blocking and how they kind of block differently depending upon the different types of backs that are actually playing behind them, which makes sense because the time that you have to set up your block with one type of running back will be completely different than another, depending upon the, the running backs running style. So if you think about the, the green Bay offense has currently constituted, you know, they've had a full season to kind of adapt to a player like a Jamal Williams. They've seen their fair share of, you know, kind of structuring, um, you know, offenses around running backs that are quick to the hole but also have the ability to kind of run up your backside and push the pile forward. And now AJ Dillon comes in and while he can do that to your point, he has way more nuance in terms of understanding the, the different types of angles, as well as the different types of pursuit angles of defenders in between the tackles. You know, he's going to give that guard or that tackle or that tight end, or even that, you know, pulling backside guard, the extra half second to really get a good blocking angle because he's not going to overpower you and outrun you. He's going to tuck inside your hip pocket. He's going to find the crease that he needs, and he's going to be able to make you right instead of wrong more often than not in between the tackles. And I think that that's where he's going to fit nicely inside of that offense. So I, I'm, I'm just thrilled. Now, Paul, 
I'm going to ask you a question, Paul, because I know you were you're chomping at the bit. Paul was spinning yarns preseason about the snow covered fields of Green Bay. It was almost poetic. You could almost hear the actual, you know, kind of soundtrack from NFL films playing in the background as he kind of, you know, wafted about the the ability of A.J. Dillon to set the Green Bay world on fire. Paul, are you equally as excited about A.J. Dillon as well? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the funny part is, is we've became as evaluators as a whole, you know, at times people focus so much on what prospects can't do that it almost over supersedes anything that they can do. And like, you know, and the funny part is, I mean, who's recognized as maybe the greatest coach ever in football? It's Bill Belichick. And what is Bill Belichick known for? Finding what players are really good at, putting them in positions to succeed. And all he keeps doing is winning. Well, okay, if if people have reservations about what A.J. Dillon can't do, that's fine. But I think people took that narrative and made it seem like because of that, he doesn't do anything well. And that was where I think the misconception was. He was my number six running back the almost the entire season. He's my number six now, but I could understand that if he gets the opportunity, he could even be better than that because I do – you know, since last summer, I never understood why why there was this gaping differentiation between Jonathan Taylor and A.J. Dillon, because all the concerns that people had about A.J. Dillon, I could equally say that those same concerns were also there about Jonathan Taylor. Whether you wanted to bring up the workload, and as Matt Wallman just said, that might not be even something that we should be talking about. The receiving capabilities in terms of in terms of college or what they were asked to do in the receiving game. It's not like Jonathan Taylor was asked to do much more than AJ Dillon this year, a little bit more in terms of statistically, but not in terms of skill. So I never understood why there was this gaping difference between them where Jonathan Taylor was looked at as a can't miss, you know, first round running back or early second round running back. And then some people thought AJ Dillon was a round four, round five, late round guy. There seemed to be this massive gap. So I am excited. I don't know if it's going to translate immediately to fantasy. I think that'll have a lot to do with Aaron Jones and how long he's a, a member of the Packers and how long Aaron Rodgers is there because, you know, if, if they're wrong on Jordan Love and they pull the plug too soon on Aaron Rodgers, you know, the offense could take a dramatic shift the other way. But A.J. Dillon, the player, I think he brings a lot to the table. So I'm right there with you, Matt. So I'm glad you're as high on him as you are because I think there's not a lot of people who are really on pro, the pro Dillon side of things. And I just think it's because we focus so much on what they can't do. We don't look at the strengths and the abilities that they do have. And you mentioned it before with Derrick Henry. And there's a lot of other plays we can bring it up that maybe they're not the most well-rounded and great at everything. But if you're really good or very good at one thing, sometimes that's enough to be a very successful player in the NFL. So I'm glad we talked about him in depth there. I do want to transition to one other player, though, because this is a guy that I am struggling with and the community is much higher on. I don't think I'm going to own a lot of Keyshawn Vaughn shares based on where he's going, based on where the market has him. I thought he was a solid back when I watched him, you know, pre-draft. I think he was maybe at the back end of my top 10. But I I think people are getting overexcited about the situation and less so about the talent in terms of my opinion. Where are you on on Keyshawn Vaughn 
in, in terms of his overall talent and skill level. And then the landing spot there with Tampa Bay, which everyone seems to be ready just to immediately pretend that Ronald Jones doesn't exist at all. How, how do you, how are you looking at that situation? Um, I have Keyshawn John, Keyshawn Vaughn, probably a little higher than, um, than probably you do, but I'm with you in the sense that Ronald Jones, Ronald Jones improved last year. Um, Ronald Jones is a type of guy that when you think of what he does physically as a back and what he can do. And as long as conceptually, he's still moving forward on that, on that improvement trajectory, he's going to be the lead back. You know, I mean, Keyshawn Vaughn can block. I like that. I like that. He can catch the ball. He does make decent decisions. There are times that he can be a little, he can press a little too much, but he played it on a Vanderbilt team that basically he had to sometimes try and push a little too much to try and find solutions that could lead to um, immature mistakes with decision-making. But overall, he's a good decision-maker. But if, to be honest with you, if, if, um, Peyton Barber were still there. He he and Keyshawn Vaughn might be having a spirited competition for who's going to be the number two back or the committee guy in the role with with um you know with Jones. So I don't see Vaughn as necessarily this slam dunk pl- player. I think he he's kind of a Chester Taylor like player, which is you know good enough to give you twelve thirteen hundred yards behind a terrific offense. And they should have a better offensive line just by the nature of having Gronkowski and Howard in as blockers in 12 personnel sets. They should probably have a lot more of that going on this year. And then if they want to play 13 and put Braden there, that might even be even a little bit better if they want to give Mike Evans or, or Godwin a breather on occasion. But they're gonna play, I think they're going to play a lot more 12 personnel. That's going to help the offensive line a little bit more where the tackles may – not have as much pressure on them. And then a guy like Vaughn's going to look pretty good, you, you know, but, but so will, so will Ronald Jones unless Ronald Jones gets hurt. And then Vaughn, you know, could take off in his offense and people will be like, Oh my God, he's, you know, he had seven to nine touchdowns and 1200, 1300 yards. And now they're talking about him. Like he's going to be a 1500 to 1700 yard back. Who's going to, you know, and they're going to get disappointed because he's, he's basically, He's basically a guy that will get you what's blocked and and occasionally a little more. Um, and he'll also he'll he'll create for you to do some good work, but he's not a special back in that regard. So I like him, don't love him. I have him seventeenth on my board right now. Yeah, I mean, I think you bring up a lot of good points there. And and I think that's about overall, I think I have him around that 17, 18 mark. So I think we're pretty, but I mean, I'm seeing him and hearing that he's going in a lot of first rounds, top 10, top 12. And, and for me, a guy who I don't think is guaranteed to get a clear opportunity early on, and who knows if he ever does, I'm not passing up some of those wide receivers that I think are going to very much be integral parts of offense's in the short term and if not very soon, you know, maybe in year two or, or beyond who I just think have much higher upside. If we take this to the, the top running backs and a lot of them really went to what is perceived as really pristine landing spots in terms of the scheme fits, anybody really stand out even above the, the rest from the fit 
perspective. You know, Clyde Edwards Hilaire in Kansas City, you know, we can wax poetically about that. Jonathan Taylor behind that offensive line in Indianapolis. And then I know one we've been talking a lot about here, J.K. Dobbins in that Baltimore offense, the use of the RPOs, the spacing that's created. Is there any uh, amongst those three top running backs that that you're even – excited about maybe more than you know maybe it changed the narrative a little bit for you in terms of what you thought about them before the draft based on you know the scheme and the opportunity that maybe they have in front of them now well jk dobbins was my number one back before the draft and he's still my number one back after it so it's kind of like and for the reasons you described so it may not be this year that he's the top back right away um but i don't play you know I play dynasty football like you guys play dynasty football. So, you you know, he may not be the top producer this year, but the next two, three, five years, he might, I think I expect him to be one of the top two backs and Taylor, obviously, uh, you know, I think he's, I think he's a great fit in that gap oriented scheme. And Marlon Mack is, we're going to see the difference between a guy who actually can create yards and the guy who just gets what's created. Um, you know, by the end of the year, as long as Taylor doesn't put the ball on the ground and, and actually shows the effort to pass protect that he's capable of. Um, so to me, by process of elimination, I guess it's Clyde Edwards Hilaire, who, who I had lower than most people. Um, but now that he's in the Andy Reid system and he, and Andy Reid comped him to Brian Westbrook and, you know, and you look at what the, the Chiefs do offensively and you're looking at somewhere between about, you know, 1100 to 1300 yards for the rushing uh, among it for for that um position depending on whether it's a committee or it's a singular back um and then you're looking at another six six to eight hundred yards receiving um for you know for that backfield it could be anywhere for hilaire if it starts off well for him and he can show something as a pass protector he could maybe be that singular back i'm not counting on it this year but i'm counting but I do believe that he'll be good enough to that that now he has to be considered one of the three to five backs that you want in this draft. Whereas most people, it's like that's not much of a change, and they're going to take him number one overall. But I still think, you know, even their running back coach said Darwin Thompson's a guy that we really liked how he's improved every time he's on the field, how much better he is each time he plays. I wouldn't be surprised if Darwin Thompson continues to push his way into a in, in into playing time. And the same thing with um, Damian Williams. So I think that Hilaire to me is still, there's a risk for him to be in a committee. So even though I'm going to mention him as a guy who moved up my board, I still have reservations about him being an instant impact player to the degree that I would put Dobbins and Taylor. You know, it's funny, Paul and I have been talking about this since the draft, you know, that the terminology that we've been using has been, uh, you know, every one of the running backs seem to have a roommate this year. So, you know, all these guys are, are really kind of, you know, jointed the hip, so to speak with with many of these players and in these backfields as embattled as they are they're you know even more enigmatic the more you move out of the top slots into those kind of middling spots like we were talking about AJ Dillon and how it's still he's got a roommate but as we go a little bit deeper Matt and maybe as we begin to end this kind of running back kind of deep dive I'm wondering if you can unpack a couple of um, running backs that their situations may not look so clear now. Maybe there's potential in the future. Maybe there's not. Um, maybe it's all a mirage. But I'm thinking about players like when I look at players like, you know, Anthony McFarland, 
uh, Zach Moss, uh, even players that are a little bit more enigmatic in terms of what their actual usage will be. Maybe the Antonio Gibsons of the world. And are you buying the Lynn Bowdens? I'm thinking about that nucleus of player, or even Joshua Kelly. I mean, when you look at that group of players, Anthony McFarlane, Antonio Gibson, Lynn Bowden, um, Joshua Kelly, you know, their situations are really nothing too great. Could there be clarity in the future? Are we kind of hanging our hopes on a prayer? I mean, Zach Moss, I mean, he's got Devin Singletary. What do you think about that group? Well, I, I you know, it's interesting. Lynn Bowden, I'm just going to go ahead and put the needle in or put the needle into the balloon right now and just pop that balloon because, you know, Lynn Bowden is a, he has terrific contact balance. I love the fact that he was a tough guy to be able to play quarterback who ran the ball a lot. I thought he should have been a receiver. I don't know why they want to make him the next, try and make him the next Jalen Richard. I guess that's what they're trying to do there. And that may possibly happen. But I just don't know if he has the instincts to play running back in terms of the um, – you know, I think he has the instincts to a degree, but I don't think he has the learned behavior. And it may and it may be too late to teach him some of the learned behavior to play running back between the tackles at the level that, that he's now going to be at. So I just look at this, and I, I already see – I'm already worried this is going to be a failed experiment with a player who, was, who could have been a promising slot receiver. So I'm kind of – I feel like they made the wrong decision in terms of where they're going to put him. Anthony McFarlane, again, I this is a guy that um, with the Steelers, I think it might work out. Like the hope there is, could he be the next fast Willie Parker? To, you know, he has some opportunities behind a good offensive line that he can they can put him in some gap scheme plays. He can perform well in that if he can clean some things up and not be the type of guy who, um, you know, as I've talked about on in. in before is that Anthony McFarland strikes me as that guy who like he has a good decision in front of him. He gets halfway to making the good decision and then finds a way to mess it up. And like McFarland does that a lot of times as a decision maker, even on runs that even on um, blocking scheme plays that he's supposed to be good at. So he's a little boom busty for me. I don't have him very high on my board. You, you know, I, I, I'm letting other people take him and take the chance on him. Um, and then when, you know, the, the two guys to me, you know, Gibson, I, I believe that Gibson can be a good player. Can Washington be a good team? That's the question that I that I really have there. If Washington can be a good team, their offensive line can stay healthy. Antonio Gibson can be an excellent player. He could wind up being a top 15, top 20 running back who lead, who becomes the lead back, especially if a guy like Darius Geis either can't stay healthy or as Doug Williams described him recently as a likable knucklehead who seems to continue to want to do things his own way, which seems to me like a, a, a soft version of saying, dude, get your stuff together because you, you're screwing up. Like, I mean, that's that's all I can think of that message being. So Geis, as talented as he is, you know, if he doesn't get his stuff together, Gibson could take over from that. But Gibson will have to show that he can become a more versatile back in terms of run scheme, and he'll have some time to do that behind Adrian Peterson and Geis if he can, you know, if he can keep his head on straight and really work um, because the talent's there. But he's boom bust because of that too. The two guys I like the most are the two guys kind of mentioned on the periphery there: Zach Moss and Joshua Kelly. Zach Moss, to me, by the end of the year, should if he plays the way I think he's capable of. He'll rightfully put Devin Singletary in a scat back role 
and and he'll be and Singletary will be the number two back on a team that has a really good offensive line. And and while I love Singletary's grit, I love his um, contact balance for his size. I love his footwork and his ability to anticipate things very quickly. Zach Moss is basically Travis Henry. You know, I mean, like he's he's Travis Henry reunited with the Bills, but a Travis Henry who can actually pass protect really well and catch the ball. So while he's not, you know, he's one of those guys that we look at athletically and go, yeah, you know, maybe he's he's you know not that exciting for what people think of as a, a running back one. I think he's going to wind up being the best back on that team. And then Joshua Kelly, they've even said, you know, you look at this team and you know basically the the head coach for the Chargers was like, listen, we need someone to replace some of those Melvin Gordon carries, and we think that. Joshua Kelly can eventually get there, you know, and, and we know that Josh chat, you know, that, you know, Josh Jackson or what, what's his name again that I, I'm trying to think of uh, the, the kid, the kid from Northwestern, Justin Jackson, Justin Jackson, Justin Jackson. Jackson. Can't believe I forgot that. Cause I'm known for like really liking Justin Jackson, but <laughs> Justin Jackson, you know, and, and Austin Eckler are essentially the same type of player. You know, I think in terms of the role that teams see them as, I think Justin Jackson can offer a little more than people think, but his size tends to preclude that and teams put labels on guys. So he's going to have to go somewhere else and hopefully, you know, within the next year to prove that he can be kind of what Austin Eckler has given that team. Um, And Eckler, while he got that contract extension, he's certainly going to get a ton of touches. They still need a, a bigger back. And Josh Kelly is going to be that guy. And we've seen that Melvin Gordon and Austin Eckler have been able to coexist in fantasy football terms as starting running backs on the same team. So I think Kelly's going to get a real shot within a couple of years to do that. He's a guy you can get so late in drafts right now that I'm taking him every chance. He just falls to me like A.J. Dillon and, and Joshua Kelly. And then I'll even add Eno Benjamin to the mix as a guy that like is in a nice fit situation that you you could get these guys much later than um you know based on their talent that I'm just like why wouldn't I take a chance on those three guys yeah you brought up some good names there i think you know Benjamin was a great pick there and it was round 7 for the cardinals i think he could quickly push chase edmonds to be the number 2 there and you know Kenny and Drake had success there the second half of last year and and we'll see he's playing this year i think on the transition tag so we don't it's not like he's locked in long term there yet you know you mentioned Joshua Kelly and i think the, i think the Chargers was a good landing spot and you know they signed that extension with Austin Eckler, but you know, they also got to think about preservation with him. Like they can't just run him into the line of scrimmage and you know, he needs to have, as we've been saying, a roommate, like he needs that other person, like him and Melvin Gordon work together. You know, when Eckler was just there, like, yeah, he put up some gaudy stats the beginning of last year when Melvin Gordon was holding out, but how practical, like to me, that wasn't practical for a full 16 game season. And I think they probably know that as well. So I think Kelly could get an opportunity there. And then Zach Moss, I agree with you. I think, you know, for what Buffalo wants to do to the style of play too, Zach Moss might even fit that offense better, you know, listen, way better. Yeah, way better in terms of what they want. And, you know, and and I do believe, though, like, you know, I never was buying Singletary last year in Dynasty. I had my reservations on him as a player before the draft. And then he outperformed what I 
expected considerably his rookie year, but I still never was willing to go all in on him because I thought they were either going to invest in a free agent running back and give him some money or another top three round pick. And that's exactly what happened there, you know, and if Josh Allen continues to be the runner inside the, you know, the goal line and, and produces running touchdowns, that's also going to cap, you know, production there as well. So I thought people right now, I think Devin Singletary is a little bit too high where I see him on ranks because I think the threat of Zach Moss taking his job or at least eating into it considerably, you know, and then the running capabilities of Josh Allen as well. So yeah, a lot of these running backs that we talked about, I think there's a, there's a lot of interesting names that you can, that you talked about the guys that you talked about, you can get him way, way later than, than maybe where their consensus uh, is right now and, and get them at really good value. If we take this to the, we'll round out the show with one or, or two uh, quarterback and tight end questions if we go to the tight end position, I know we talked about Devin Asiasi when you were on before the draft, and we were all fans of him as well. So I'd love to kind of hear your thoughts on him having some decent draft capital attached to him and being in New England, uh, maybe make some sense of them also then taking Dalton Keene in the same round. Are they envisioning a return to 12 personnel? And if so, how do you how do you envision that working for them? And then are you excited about Adam Trapman a little bit more down the line of what he could be in, you know, a Sean Payton-led offense, probably with a different quarterback down in the future in terms of when Trapman, you know, might be, you know, making any relevance in terms of fantasy football? Well, it's funny. Let's start with Trotman because I think a lot of people are kind of like, well, he's raw. He's raw. He's played at a small school. He's going to need time to acclimate. And that may be true. I don't really know because it, you because when I watch his tape, if I'm just judging him based on what he does, not on what his teammates do, not on what defenders can or can't do, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Adam Trotman plays well enough that by next year he's like pushing to be, or by the end of this year that he's pushing to be on the field. I wouldn't be shocked at all if they go two tight end sets and they, or they use one of those guys outside and, and he ends up being a big play guy this year. Like I think he's going to have an impact at least in games this year, maybe not in fantasy. So I'm, you know, I'm very high on Adam Trotman. I, I just, I keep hearing that, and I think that's people kind of covering their behinds because we really don't know. <laughs> you see that what I see on tape is like is as good or better than what I saw from any tight end in Division One. Um, so, and it was stuff that I look hard for, and he's doing it like on a regular basis. So maybe he won't be able to do that against fat, quicker, faster, savvier guys. There's that possibility, but I'm going to stay open to the idea that he can because he he did. Where other back, you know, other guys I never see do that, even when they're facing guys that they're they've they've overmatched, you know, when they're playing the, you know, the nickel states of the world or the, you know, or, or lower level teams. So I'm good with that. Asiasi and and Keen, yeah, I definitely agree. It's going to be a 12 personnel thing, and it's probably going to be a you got to be patient because we don't know whether Jarrett Stidham's going to be the guy long term, and the and will the the Patriots end up you know, basically winding up as a doormat or having to trade up and, and get a guy like a Trevor Lawrence, you know, or, or, you know, a quarterback that they like. And if they do that, then maybe Asiasi becomes a much more relevant player within the next two to three years. But I, I like Asiasi the most. I think Trotman could wind up being a, one of the best players um, 
at uh, on that tight end board. And there's some other guys that are just kind of interesting. I mean, just note, I think I think David Njoku's probably going to – he's been put on notice, if you ask me. Bryant's going to be that 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 H-back type within a year or two, and they're going to move him along. I think a guy like Jared Pinckney could wind up pushing his way into playing time in Atlanta if he's really like – if if the things that were characterized about him that were bad – um, turn out not to be the case. Um, I think he could wind up being a, a very good player for the Atlanta Falcons in two tight end sets, or maybe even becoming the lead tight end if Hunt, if Hurst, um, Hayden Hurst doesn't play to the level that people expect. And I'm just like, I don't get Hayden Hurst. Like, I mean, I get him like in terms of up the seam slants, quick plays, can make can run after the catch. But I thought, you know, I hear people talk about Austin Hooper, like my buddy Bloom on on the show that we have on every Thursday night. Every time we're on the show together, he's always talking about Hayden Hurst and how Austin Hooper isn't really wasn't really all that. And I'm like, no, Austin Hooper was all that, and Matt Ryan didn't take advantage of him. And he's going to get. And I think that you know he's going to have a much better shot of taking being a better player in in Cleveland than what he was in that what he was in Atlanta. Um, but I think Hayden Hurst is an incomplete player compared to Austin Hooper, whereas I think Jaden Pinckney could be a more complete player, even though not as good of an athlete. So those are my thoughts on the tight ends. And you know what? If we if we take this, like, because I, I agree with you. First of all, I mean, we we kind of laid it out there as a kind of preeminent victory lap on Devin Asiasi, even though we haven't really seen it come to fruition. But I, I, I can't help but feel that we are primed to see the emergence and the second coming of, uh, you know, a potential combo tight end in what we get out of Asiasi. So, I mean, I'm excited for him. I mean, and, and people forget, this is a player with tremendous pedigree from high school. We're not talking about a guy who wasn't on the radar. He was at the top of the radar. He was like the number three overall uh, player at that position. And I think Cole Komet also shared that with him as well. So just out of curiosity, as we move into the kind of the quarterback position, I mean, do you think, Matt, it really is as simple as pretty much take Burroughs, take Tua, and then you may just want to hold off unless you're in desperate need of a quarterback? Is there a player that you're kind of sitting there saying, you know, I think it could break his way? I mean, I, I have, you know, a personal favor of mine. I know that in my particular uh, league that Paul and I play in, you know, I have many quarterbacks. Um, I take a quarterback every year. I'm like the Green Bay Packers. I draft a quarterback every year. And um and he'll tell you the same thing. I take one every year. This year, I'm thinking about Tua in the first round, so I'm all over the place. Um, but I'm also thinking about Jordan Love as the player that I could sit on and just see what happens. But the consensus seems to be Burroughs, Tua, and then, eh, you could go for it if you want, but you may want to hold off. Are, are you along those lines? Do you think it really does stop after those two players? I think if you're playing it safe. Like if you're going to play safe fantasy football, which is basically the the odds based playing the odds type of thing, where you you play it by the numbers and you're not really looking at talent on the field and you don't really know anything about talent on the field, so you you lean solely on the numbers, you, you know, then yeah, Burrow and Tagovailoa are probably the two guys that you're just going to look at, and then that's it because then there's other values at you know, later on in the draft that you'd rather take as opposed to some of these quarterbacks. And then maybe you'd slip in some of these quarterbacks, you know, here or there if they fall to you. Like if you're in a deeper league and you think Jacob Eason is available, like 
for me, I was in an ID. I'm in the football guys IDP league, and I have like, I think we have 14 teams, and I had like the I had the 13th pick or the 12th pick. I don't remember which one. I think it was the 12th. And at the end of the seven, you know, it's a full IDP league. We had nine rounds, and in like round eight, Jacob Eason was still sitting there. Like, how am I not? I have Tom Brady, Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes in that league too. How am I not going to take Jacob Eason sitting there at like, you know, at that round? He's basically just a, a less experienced player who could easily have been, you know, if you gave him an extra year, he would have been considered a Justin Herbert at least, if not more. So, and he's sitting behind Philip Rivers behind that good offensive line. Why not? So Jake Fromm, if you're a, if you don't want to, if you don't believe in Josh Allen really developing as a decision maker on the way that he should, and you believe that Jake Fromm's arm is better than people are characterizing, that could be free money for you. So I'm looking at those guys and saying they're underrated. You know, I I could get Jacob Fromm maybe in the fifth, fifth or sixth round in some drafts. Why wouldn't I consider him there if everybody else has already taken that I like? I would consider that, especially if I have a practice squad and, and it's a practice squad that isn't just one year only. Like you can sit them for two, three seasons. Yeah. Jake Fromm, Jacob Eason, Justin Herbert. Why not? Jalen Hurts. Those are all, even Anthony Gordon is a guy you should be watching. Like I think those are guys that like you're going to be monitoring for your waiver wire. They're going to be available off and on throughout the next three to four years. And you're going to be able to pick up any of those guys that I just mentioned. Herbert, to me, is a guy that could wind up being good because of the system he's in and because of the players that are around him. And so I think that you don't want to discount him just because you may look down your nose at his technique and some of his decisions, some of the things like that. But he's not a guy that I would put anywhere in the same area as Burrow and Tonga And because I think Burrow and Tonga can be good this year and right away, I actually have them rated higher than most people are like, Let's put those guys somewhere between the end of the first round and the mid-second round, and that's where we pick the top quarterback. Well, if if you need a, you know, that's where people picked Mitchell Trubisky. That's where people picked um, Maker Mayfield. That's where people picked, insert the quarterback who isn't quite as good as people think they are. Um, I'd rather move up a little bit and take a guy that I know is going to be pretty good and I think those two guys are not going to be your Mitchell Trubisky, Baker Mayfield types who like have you, you know, kind of getting seasick from year to year with what they offer you. I think those two guys are going to give you steady growth. Yeah. One final question. And you, and you kind of hit on it. So you might, it might be a guy that you just talked about. You mentioned earlier in the show, you know, that you were impressed with what Gardner Minshew did last year and you think he's going to show some growth this year. Is there anybody from day three of the draft that you could envision a scenario that their this year's version of Gardner Minshew, would it be Jake Fromm if things were to go sideways for Josh Allen or an injury? Would that be the one that you could see coming in and having success like Gardner Minshew last year? I think it's between Fromm and Hertz, you know, really, because – Hertz can move around and do the things you need him to do, to, and he has a really good deep arm. So he could take – he's a better deep ball thrower right now than Carson Wentz is. Now, when we're talking 40 yards plus. Under 40 yards, Carson Wentz is, is really good. If you want to say deep ball is 25 to 35 yards in that offense, you know, Wentz is awesome. 
But if you want a guy to take a five, seven step drop and, and chuck that ball downfield on a deep post and let Deshaun Jackson outrun you or let Jalen Rager outrun you or the other five receivers they drafted <laughs> who are like that, the, the, the Shelton Gibson, um, you know, John Hightowers, all those guys, Jalen Hurts can do that for you, you know, but I think decision-making wise, Jake Fromm's a much better decision maker. Um, Jake Fromm has really good pocket presence, but he's not a good mover in the pocket, but he has that, those arm angles that are ridiculous. Like he has some underrated, ridiculous arm angle angles that he can hit those little check down throws and he has the weapons and he has the anticipation in a lot of plays. Some some he has things he has to work on. But Fromm, I think, is the type of guy that like Fromm's the type of guy that you could put him in the lineup and he's gonna give you like these like eight, nine, thirteen, fifteen play drives, and he's gonna get you in the field goal range, and he's gonna maybe even be able to make some plays for you to get you in the red zone and not throw interceptions. Whereas Josh Allen's gonna like give you some of these big, you know right hook, left hook, roundhouse, 15-yard, 25, 35-yard, minus 10, minus 20, you, you know, you know, type of ups and down swoons where it's a big play and then they get in the red zone and either stall out or make it because he ran the ball in. Whereas Fromm is like the team's going to react and go, he's going to put the ball where we need it to. We know what he's doing. The offensive line is like, we know what we need to do with him. He's not going to like – He's not going to do crazy stuff that we're like having to be on a swivel with. And they already have a good offensive line. So like for me, as long as from the ball doesn't like go, you know, he doesn't try and throw into that Buffalo wind and the ball doesn't come back in him in the forehead. You know, I think he's going to be deep as long as his arm doesn't look like that. I think he's going to be decent. And if he shows that his arm's strong enough and he's made the improvements he needs to, to actually cut through some of that Buffalo wind, watch out. Cause Josh Allen could be put on notice within the by the end of the year, not this year, but by the end of like next year or the year after, if Fromm shows that. I don't know if he will. I don't know if he has that arm, but I think that it's like kind of now or never for Fromm. Like they've basically said, we're going to draft you in like one of the worst weather potential situations that you could be put in in the NFL, and you're either going to sink or swim, bud. You know, and I think that if he if he really does have the better arm and Georgia screwed up with their drop plan, like they did with under Coley, their offensive coordinator and, and really made him look worse. Cause I've seen some throws out of from that. I'm sitting here looking at him going, he's gonna be able to make some of those throws in Buffalo. I don't think that's going to be as much of a problem as people think. And if he does that, you know, I'm, you know, there's a reason why Jacob Eason is, is an inexperienced guy, you know, lucky to squeeze his ass out of the out of college football as quickly as he did um hoping that he's going to be able to build on his career because because from is a good football player who um who i think is very underrated in this class i would have i still think he's the third best talent in this class yeah i mean we talked about from before the draft when you came on here and we said, you know, he, he could be that an Alex Smith type player or, you know, Andy Dalton, you know, so while it, it seemed to be a little bit of the media in terms of maybe like from a little bit more than what you were hearing from the scouts and it played out that way. I still do think though, and I wasn't even a huge from supporter. I still was surprised to see him go as far down 
you know, the pecking order when we've seen guys like CJ Beathard and other guys, Davis Webb going the third round, you know, for what Fromm has, you know, showed it is collegiate time, you know, and, and all the intangibles sound like they're through the roof with this kid, you know, to, for him to go all the way in the sixth round when we've seen so many other quarterbacks, you know, based off of maybe one trade or something that kind of stood out, get pushed into like the third round was very surprising for sure. Matt, always an absolute pleasure to have you on it. I know, you know, we look forward to these podcasts every single year. Uh, thank you again so much for coming on both times again this year. I'm sure all our audience follows and checks you out, but please uh, let the audience know where they can follow you, uh, whatever you want to promote. If there's anything you're specifically working on over at your website or the podcast, anything you want to share. Um, you know, um, I just want to thank you guys for having me on and I appreciate it. We're in a we're in a really chaotic time with our nation right now, um, and certainly those those of you who follow me and listen know that I've really been really all about that. And I know that Paul and Matt, you guys are sympathetic and have your hearts and minds in the right place in terms of what that is, you know. And I, you know, and I see this as a human rights issue, not as a political issue. And it, you know, so you know, what I will say is that that's really been my focus um, right now, and and. I feel like that that's been kind of more of a going to be a priority lately. So, you know, and I'll just put it to you this way is that, you know, the, the rookie scouting portfolio, it may not look like it because I'm the face of the business, but it's essentially a black owned business. Um, because my wife is, is my partner. Um, she's my business manager. Um, and she's probably the, the reason for like 80% of the great ideas that I've done that have helped me be able to build the book um, and, and the website and the podcast and everything else that I do. Um, and a lot, and I've related to a lot of people on Twitter just to talk about um, what it's like to be a white person growing up in the United States, in the North, in the South, who's had a chance to actually live abroad in a country that, that I lived in Jamaica for a year, not because of my wife. Um, actually I was with somebody else at the, at that time, um, who was Jamaican and have had a chance to live in a country that didn't have racism, didn't have systemic racism. Jamaica has a classist system, but it doesn't have a racist system. And so I had a chance to kind of live abroad and see that and then come back to this country, um, and have family who were black or biracial, but in this country, if you're biracial, you're essentially viewed as black, depending on what shade your skin color is. Um, you know, so, um, I've been able to share what I learned from that on Twitter and just kind of share what I, what I've learned, what I've seen, what I've had to unlearn, even as a person who never thought of myself as racist, but we are products of a racist system. We're all products of a racist system. Um, so, you know, as a result of that, there are things that we unintentionally benefit from, you know, where some people intentionally put it into place, but maybe some, many of us didn't intentionally want to benefit from that, you know, and it doesn't mean that live life isn't hard and, and that we don't have things that we have to work and struggle and, and work to overcome, but we may not have certain barriers in place that other people do, um, you know, as a result of the system that we're in. So I talk a lot about that and what you can do to help as an ally, what you can do with your friends just to listen and to, and to, and colleagues and know when to ask and when not to, and what to ask and what not to at this time, 
you know, and, and so that you can be just kind of a better fellow citizen to other people and to, and understand things a little bit more. And maybe I can give you some of, you know, a way to relate that and be a bridge between, you know, people who, you know, who mean well, understand that there's an issue and how to be um, a, a better, more, a better part of the community as a result of that. So that's kind of what I want to promote at the end of this today. And I appreciate you guys giving me the opportunity to do that. Absolutely, guys. If you haven't been following along or checked out his most recent podcast, it's really important stuff. Like, you know, like we had spoken off air and I had told him, you know, my appreciation and gratitude for him putting that information out there. The relevance, the importance, the educational value of it is, is much needed with everything going on in our society right now. So if you have missed any of that, I highly recommend checking it out and hearing his opinion and his takes on it because I do think they are very poignant and very important for us as a society you know, to see his perspective and his uh, firsthand understanding on this, you know, to help better educate myself and and so many other people uh, that, you know, that are friends with him or know him or follow him for his football takes. But this is so much on a bigger and and a grander scope of that uh, in terms of what we're dealing with right now as a society. Macaracho, any final parting shots here? No, I, I mean, I echo the same things as you, Paul, and, and to Matt, I express the same gratitude, both not only in educating myself and my understanding, but just the, the idea, the simplicity of keeping an open heart and open mind and, and most importantly, open ears, listening and, and, and just being open to what other people's perceptions, ideas and, and perspectives are, because if you don't do that, then you never really make any progress in your own life and in your own understanding of things. So it, it really has been something that I've locked on to and it really has helped me tremendously. So the gratitude is expressly from us to you. Thank you for being, you know, that, that beacon of just, um, just, I guess I want to say, just like I said, the ability to connect and, and the simplicity of the language that you're using, just, just to really hit home. So I, it was tremendous. And I, like we said, we hopefully this episode um, has just given some people a a reprieve just for a moment, um, just to give ourselves an opportunity, you know, to um, enjoy the world of sport, but also to remember, you know, that we are part of much more than just sport in this world and to remind us of that. So thank you so much. Thank you, gentlemen. Absolutely, guys. So on behalf of Matt Wallman, on behalf of Matt Caraccio, and our sound and tech engineer, David Nakano. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.